Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at Des Moines Metro Opera.org. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer on this Legislative Monday. If you tune in on Mondays, of course, you know during the legislative session, we like to focus on legislative issues of all sorts. Um, legislation advancing at the State House that would offer new legal protections for Iowa's trucking industry. Later in the hour, we'll hear what supporters and opponents of that bill have to say about it. We'll also hear from a woman who lost her husband to a trucking accident. More on that in just a few minutes. Let's start this Monday on River to River by discussing state aid for public schools. Uh, I'm joined now by Grant Gerlach, IPR's education reporter. Hello, Grant. Hi, Ben. Grant, uh, last week, Governor Reynolds signed into law a budget plan uh, that provides funding for Iowa's public schools. Give us some details. Yeah, this is the plan for funding public schools in Iowa. This is supposed to be one of the very first things that the legislature does every year. And they did get it done on time. It had to be done by Friday. So they they met the deadline. And what they passed was a 3% increase in state aid per student. And if you look back, that's the highest percentage increase since 2015. And compared to the past few years, um, Recent years have been a 2 or 2.5% two increase. So 3% is more than Republicans have approved recently. In terms of uh, dollars, it's $107 million in new funding, uh, base funding for K-12 public schools. And it puts total state aid at around $3.7 billion. Um, there is There are some other smaller parts to it, including additional money for transportation equity. This is money that is meant to help uh, especially smaller districts with disproportionately high busing costs uh, to to help them manage those costs in their budgets. Um, but overall, it's a 3% increase for schools for the next fiscal year. Yeah. I want to have you uh, talk about what the Democrats proposed. Um, uh, they don't agree with that level of funding. But before that, how did the Republicans arrive at that level of state aid? How did they justify it? Well, they said they've they've heard from their districts that they're looking for more of an increase than they've had in recent years. There were members, particularly in the House, that were calling for larger increases, some even that wanted more than 3%, but this is where they landed. And they said that looking at their budget, this is what's affordable. This is a responsible level of funding that they can um, that they can continue to to fit in the budget going forward. So this is this is where they landed on it from the Republican perspective. Democrats tried, and of course they're in the uh, minority. Um, Republicans have increased their majorities in both chambers, but uh, uh, nevertheless they tried to advance an amendment with more funding. Tell us about that. Yeah, it didn't go anywhere, but what they wanted to do was increase uh, public school funding by 6%, and that would have been $267 million in additional funding. And the way they came to that number was they, they took the amount that the state will be spending uh, on the first year of the, the new school choice program, plus the cost of uh, some uh, corporate tax cuts that are going into effect, and said if you put those two together, you, you reach $267 million. And if the state has that money for those things, then there was money available for public schools. So um, that's how they came to that number and their way of putting a point on, on their wishes to see more 
public money going into the public school system. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that, how Governor Reynolds' Students First Act, that's what you referred to in reference to private school funding, uh, recently signed. How did that, what can we say about how that did or did not shape the budget level for public schools? Well, what we can say is that that uh, program is directly affected by the decision on where public school funding lands because the the families that receive these education savings accounts, th- that amount is based on state per-pupil funding. So if you look at the amount that, that is in this 3% increase, it puts state per-pupil funding at $7,635, and that's the same amount that will be in these education savings accounts uh, as they go into the first year next fall. And that's a little more than Governor Reynolds had originally proposed because she was proposing a 2.5% increase in her original budget plan. So initially, people might have heard about these being $7,598 or, or right at $7,600. It's a little bit more than that now because uh, because the public school funding increase came in a little higher than she was originally proposing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading in your reporting that four Republicans joined Democrats to vote against the school funding measure. What was behind their opposition? Yeah, again, I think it comes back to um, hearing from local districts that um, that this won't cover the increasing costs of running a school district, and and they wanted to see more. Uh, how much more, I'm not sure, but that's what... Uh, House Speaker Pat Grassley said when he was asked about the, the I think it was four Republicans that voted against this school funding measure, was that they wanted more and and they landed on 3%, so they weren't ready to vote for it. Um, but what both Democrats and, and other public school advocates said is that even a 3% increase, and it is an increase, is not a, enough to cover what many districts are seeing in terms of the increased cost of, of fuel or health insurance or the cost of heating their buildings. Altogether, I'm, they're happy to see 3% more than they would be happy to see 2.5%. But compared to the costs that they're trying to cover year to year in their districts, it just doesn't quite keep up. Yeah, were we hearing anything from school districts already? Iowa has over 300 school districts, the Des Moines School District being by far the largest school district. Um, Any reaction there? Uh, What are the implications? Because, of course, we have very different school districts across the state, uh, urban school districts, more rural school districts, uh, some with declining enrollments. Yeah, I think you'll you you'll probably be hearing about schools trying to move some money around and try to protect their programming, um, but some cuts are likely at different districts around the state. The Des Moines Public School District is already saying they may have to close or combine some facilities. Uh, the Des Moines Register reported that they're looking at extracurricular facilities first, but they haven't named anything specific and. They also said that this will be more than just for next year. They're going to have to look at their ongoing costs going forward, and that could mean staffing cuts. It could mean changes to the district's health care program for teachers and staff, which is pretty generous, and it's a a strong recruiting tool for the district right now. Um, So that could be something that has to change going forward just because of the funding situation that they face. And that's also a district that's been losing uh, students. And those are the districts that will face the the biggest decisions. If you're losing students and the increase in 
state funding isn't covering the increase in costs, you're really put out of a position where you have to find other ways to, to make cuts or move money around to, to, cover, to cover the funding gap. Okay, Grant Gerlach, we're so glad you have your eyes on this. You're hearing uh, about it at the State House. IPR's education reporter. We, we look forward to how this unfolds. Grant Gerlach, thanks for now. You're welcome. Good to be with you, Ben. It's a Monday legislative edition of River to River from IPR News. Some Mondays during the session, we dig into proposals being debated at the Iowa State House, or as we just heard there, just passed into law during the legislative session. Let's switch from education funding to this. Legislation is advancing at the State House that would offer new legal protections for Iowa's trucking industry. In just a few minutes, we'll hear what supporters and opponents of the bill have to say, including we'll hear from a woman who lost her husband to a trucking accident a few years ago, uh, then from Iowa lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. But first, let's find out more about the bill from Katerina Sestarek, IPR state government reporter at the uh, State House Law Library. Hi, Katerina. Hi, Ben. We have a few minutes here. Give us some more details on this proposal, please. Right. So generally, this would expand liability protection for trucking companies when their employees cause injury or death in a trucking accident. Governor Reynolds proposed this last year as part of a larger bill dealing with some other topics, and this section didn't end up passing. Now it's back in front of lawmakers. And this bill includes a $1 million cap on non-economic damages when commercial vehicle accidents cause severe injury or death. So that caps the amount of money that a jury would award as compensation for things like pain and suffering and physical impairment and economic damages would remain unlimited in terms of what a jury could decide to give. Um, But this would also prohibit Iowans from suing trucking companies and employers specifically for direct negligence in hiring, training, supervising, or trusting a truck driver who caused a crash. Mm -hmm. What are the groups lining up for and against, and, and what are their arguments? Well, the groups that are for this are trucking industry representatives, insurance companies, um, just various businesses that use trucks, and groups that promote business interests and economic development are all in favor of this because they say that it'll prevent huge jury awards in trucking accident lawsuits and that it'll help improve the availability of certain kinds of insurance coverage that they need. And they say that that will all help the economy by keeping products on the move. And then the groups that are against this are mostly groups that are representing lawyers They say that it'll make the roads less safe if employers aren't being held accountable for things like hiring drivers with known substance use problems or not properly maintaining trucks and just other things that can lead to crashes, and that we should be trusting juries to decide how much money people get in these lawsuits based on the details of each individual case. Now, we know a medical malpractice bill passing, um, advancing the legislature, capping damages in, in that case at $2 million. Do these bills relate? If so, how? Well, they both came from the governor last year, um, and they both seek to limit the non-economic damages that can be awarded in cases of severe injury or death. Of course, one deals with medical malpractice cases, and the other deals with trucking accidents. Um, Several Republican lawmakers opposed the bill to cap non-economic damages in the medical lawsuits, but there seemed to be enough people swayed by the idea that it could help Iowans by preserving or improving health care access to get that across the finish line. It's not quite clear yet if Republican lawmakers will find the argument for 
helping trucking companies as strong as the arguments for helping hospitals and doctors. Um, it just doesn't seem clear yet if it has that level of support. Mm-hmm. Uh, Katerina, you'll be joining me with two lawmakers toward the end of the hour to uh, talk about the arguments for and against here. Um, uh, but in the meantime, and we'll be talking with Iowa State Representatives Bill Gustoff, a Republican, also Brian Meyer, a Democrat, uh, there at the State House Law Library with you. Uh, We'll talk to you then. Thank you, Katerina. Thanks, Ben. Again, a bill that we're discussing this hour would prohibit Iowans from suing trucking companies for direct negligence in hiring, training, supervising, or trusting a truck driver who caused a crash. Also, as Katerina just mentioned, a million-dollar cap on non-economic damages awarded in cases of personal injury or death caused by a commercial motor vehicle. We'll talk about it more when we come back. It's River to River from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Des Moines Metro Opera, whose 2024 season features The Barber of Seville, Zalame, Peleus and Melisande, and American Apollo, June 28th through July 21st. Tickets available now at DesMoinesMetroOpera.org. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. And we're back with more of River to River from IPR News. The remainder of the hour focusing on this legislation advancing at the State House that would offer new legal protections for Iowa's trucking industry. More specifically, uh, a bill that would prohibit Iowans from suing trucking companies for direct negligence, that's the wording used, in hiring, training, supervising, or trusting a truck driver who caused a crash. would also put a $1 million cap on non-economic damages awarded in cases of personal injury or death caused by a commercial motor vehicle. Joining us now, Michelle Fields. Uh, She lives in Greene County uh, in the town of Jefferson, just west of Ames. And uh, Michelle lost her husband, Pat, to a trucking accident in 2017. Hello, Michelle. Hello. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell Pat's story. Yes, and so sorry for the loss of your husband. And thank you for sharing this painful story again with Iowa Public Radio listeners. I wonder if we can start, Michelle, by having you recount the circumstances in 2017 in which your husband died. It was uh, June 6th, and it was about 11.45 in the morning. It was a sunny day. The roads were wide open and clear. Uh, The location where he was killed, uh, visibility is, is several miles. And he was taking an open cab tractor to uh, a friend to get it worked on. And as he was driving on the county road, he had a tire off in the shoulder, so it was kicking up dust as he was driving along. And he was rear-ended by a semi that was hauling grain for a local cooperative. The driver of the semi told law enforcement that he had been messing with his radio while he was driving and he didn't see Pat, but he failed to tell them 
before he left the scene that he had drug paraphernalia, um, baggies, spoon with burn marks on it, etc., in his truck, and he also had drugs in his system. Yeah. Were there criminal charges filed? Yeah, there were three um, criminal charges that were uh, brought against him um, regarding um, two of two of them were about traffic failure to stop failure to main control and then a third for a possession of, of drug paraphernalia. Yeah, was there a civil case as well? Yes, we also filed a, a civil suit. Uh, against the driver of the truck and then the company for which he was driving. Yeah. And what was the result of that civil suit? The result of the civil suit actually took a very long time to get resolved. It was over four years that we were in litigation with attorneys, and we were able to reach a settlement um, after just after four years um, between the insurance companies and uh, myself and the family. Tell us a little bit about your husband, um, your relationship, how you met, uh, how you became husband and wife, and and I understand he was a tremendously active, important person in your community as well. Yeah, he sure was. We met in 94 um, when his sister, who I knew first, introduced me to him. I needed to learn how to operate some farm machinery for a position I was applying for. And he volunteered to teach me how to run a skid loader and fill a manure spreader. And he wouldn't let me quit until the manure spreader was full, even though I had mastered running the the skid loader by that point. And it was about five years later, um, we met again. I had to drop some things off at his parents' house where he was uh, working at the family farm, and we ended up uh, playing ping pong, and I lost, and loser had to buy the winner dinner. That was his idea, and uh, we just started dating after that. We married in 2001, and we have two daughters, and um, during all that time, we were operating the family farm, uh, about 2,000 acres. He was very active in our community. So his his loss was felt by by many people throughout the community. Yeah. How how have you and your daughters, how old are your daughters now? I have a senior and a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Both in high school. How have you and Both your daughters high. coped? Well, that that's always a tough a tough question. You know, you just you you just keep going and we talk about dad a lot um, in in our everyday life. Um, we, um, you know, we we try to in- include him when we have uh, family get-togethers and so on. But you ultimately have to keep moving forward and just know that that's uh, something that you carry with you the rest of your life. And I think, um, you know, the girls the girls struggle. As as the whole family does, there are a lot of times you think about the biggies that that you're the big events that you're going to miss your your dad or your husband, you know, like graduations and weddings and things like that. But there are a yeah. lot of little things that that we end up missing as well. Like uh, Kate, my oldest is getting ready to graduate, and how how did she want her parents' names listed in the in the program? 
well, she doesn't want she doesn't want it to say the late Pat Fields because she doesn't want everybody remembering that he died. They want her to remember that he was her dad. How has this um, emotionally devastating and still coping with it? It sounds like it's just unimaginable what you've had to go through. But um, how has this left you financially? Like most, I would guess most farm operations, you, you have an operating note that allows you to run your business throughout the year until you sell your grain and livestock. Um, we had notes on ground that we were purchasing. We had notes on land that we were buying. We had notes on the um, hog buildings that we had up but, but weren't paid for yet. So um, the life insurance policy helped cover part of that, but it, it didn't cover it didn't cover all of the bills, and um, it would it it kind of left me a little bit scared of what what I was going to do. I know you've given testimony in Des Moines last year, I think, because this was raised last year as well. This bill um, that would offer new legal protections for Iowa's trucking industry. Um, what is your what is your stance? Uh, what is your view of this bill? Well, I, this this bill is really frustrating because. It seems like the legislators are working harder to protect businesses than they are to protect the citizens. Um, maybe maybe it's easier to cap the claims than it is to reduce the number of them, which to me would make would make more sense. Let's make our roads safer. Let's maybe focus on um, requiring. Um, random drug testing for all drivers as a way of, of protecting everybody else. And then, and then it also frustrates me because this bill is, is allowing the politicians to take away my seventh amendment right to let a jury decide what is fair. They're just, they're just setting an arbitrary dollar amount and that's it. And a million dollars is a lot of money. That's a lot of money. But I can tell you from my experience, um, this is a million dollars for a jury trial. Well, to get to, t- to a trial, you need an attorney. And when you work with an attorney in a trial setting, they get 40% of your, of your settlement. And then you have expenses on top of that. So your a million dollars is suddenly not a million dollars anymore. And I, I think that's something that gets kind of brushed under the table. Are you optimistic uh, that this bill will will not receive necessary support? Uh, my husband always said I lived in the world of marshmallows and lollipops because um, I am a super optimistic person, but I just feel like we're headed the wrong direction and our politicians are allowing themselves to be influenced more by dollars coming from companies than from the voices of the people that elected them in the first place. Okay. Michelle Fields, thank you so much for sharing this story and your views. Michelle lost her husband, Patrick, in 2017 when a um, a trucking crash um, happened in the summer of 2017, uh, leaving her and her two daughters without Patrick around. Michelle, thank you so much. You're welcome. 
That conversation recorded earlier today with Michelle, uh, talking today about legislation advancing at the State House, offering new legal protections for Iowa's trucking industry. Specifically, the bill would prohibit Iowans from suing trucking companies for, quote, direct negligence in hiring, training, supervising, or trusting a truck driver who caused a crash. Also put a million, would put a million-dollar cap on non-economic damages awarded in cases of personal injury or death caused by a commercial motor vehicle. We heard uh, Michelle, an opponent of this legislation advancing. Let's hear from someone in favor of it. Brian Colwis is with us, uh, Iowa Motor Truck Association Executive Committee and Board Member, uh, also General Counsel and Chief Risk Officer at Hirschbach Motor Lines. Brian, welcome and uh, thank you for joining us today. Hello, Ben. How are you? I'm fine. I wanted to have you react to Michelle's uh, final comments there in just a moment. But, but, but first of all, tell us, what is the problem here? Why is this legislation needed? Yeah, Ben, uh, happy to respond. Uh, we've seen an increasing problem in our industry going back um, at least the five years. We've seen our insurance rates uh, double over those last five years, especially for the very large fleets. Uh, we've seen some very large nuclear verdicts against our industry. For example, down in Texas, uh, there was a $90 million verdict entered against a large trucking company where um, that uh, trucker had no fault uh, for the accident. Uh, we've also seen some larger verdicts uh, in the non-trucking sector here in Iowa, in Iowa as well. There was a $97.4 million recent verdict entered uh, uh, against a uh, down in Johnson County uh, for a delivery of a child. Uh, this leads to not only uh, larger verdicts, uh, but it also leads to higher settlement values. Uh, we've seen many insurance companies pull out of this space, which uh, with less supply of insurance comes a uh, increased cost. And uh, we in the trucking industry have been forced to uh, take on much more risk than what we want out there. Our deductibles are uh, very, very high. And at the same time, we've uh, seen our limits of insurance come down drastically just to be able to afford the insurance. Mm. Uh, it's a it's a it's a major problem for our industry. And and uh, Iowa is so different from other states. Uh, isn't Iowa in in step with other states in ter- in terms of it? Wouldn't Iowa be an outlier if this legislation passed? Yes, this would be the first time, to my knowledge, the first time CAFs would be introduced in the country. But it, this is this is not just an Iowa problem. This is a uh, a problem across the uh, entire country. Um, and we feel a good place to start is right here in Iowa. Yeah, so so Iowa would be the first of you know, go state by state to enact this sort of legislation. That's what um, you as a backer are hoping. As far as the caps go, Ben, this would be the first type of legislation of that sort, but I know other states have passed laws about the uh, negligent hiring, supervision, and training that you mentioned earlier. We, there's other states that have passed that type of legislation. Let me quote a lobbyist with the Iowa Association for Justice and have you react to that, if we could, uh, Brian. Uh, this is Kelly Patchkey, I think is his name uh, pronounced, uh, pronounced uh, there. He says uh, the bill um, would protect bad actors, make truck drivers the scapegoat for their employer's bad decisions uh, and goes on. Um, what does employer direct neg- negligence look like? Well, in Iowa, we've seen a few different things. It is employers who hire truck drivers with known drug addiction. Uh, what could go wrong? It is employers who hire drivers and tell them to exceed their hours of service, 
making drivers fatigued, causing accidents. Um, he ends with, but what again could go wrong? So is this making truck drivers a scapegoat for employers' bad decisions? How do you respond to that? Yeah, Ben, I couldn't disagree more. Uh, this is not a license to be reckless as a, as a, as a trucking company. Um, I have on my desk a, a green book. It's called the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations. It's nearly two inches thick. Uh, it regulates us as a carrier everywhere from hours of service to drug testing, which includes pre-employment, post-accident, random testing. 50% of our drivers are required to be drug tested uh, annually as part of those regulations. Um, safety is our number one value. We don't have a meeting here at my company that doesn't start out with a safety message. It's truly our number one value. We want to be uh, safer out there as an industry all the time. Uh, we've increased the amount of safety technology on our trucks, whether it be collision avoidance, lane change technology, governors. All of our uh, drivers now are required to have electronic logs. So if the truck starts moving, uh, it immediately requires, puts, puts the driver on their drive line on their log books, uh, requiring us to maintain our, our, our driver's compliance with hours of service. Um, as a commercial motor carrier with uh, as large as we are, um, you know, we have no choice but to, but to be safe with the type of deductibles that we have. And plus, it's the right thing to do. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, all of our drivers and everyone traveling around our drivers get home safely to their family and loved ones every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, let's have you respond to something that Michelle said. She named a couple of points in her opposition there. Uh, Michelle, um, I think you heard her that conversation just played, recorded earlier this morning, lost her husband. Um, uh, uh, now her daughters, her, her teenage daughters, do not have a father anymore. She said juries should be decided the, to, the, the, to award the amount of damages, uh, and, and this would cap up non-economic uh, damages here. But why not, to her point, why not leave it to the members of that community on that jury to decide depending on the situation? Aren't they in a better situation, better suited to, to tailor make uh, an award in, in such cases? Ben, I understand the point, uh, but uh, basically the system is broken. With the verdicts that we're seeing across the country, they're just astronomical. And it's to the point where um, it's extremely difficult to get insurance. Um, When we can get insurance, it's very expensive. We've had to take on lower limits, much higher deductibles. And a lot of it's due to unfair tactics that we're seeing in the courtroom uh, by plaintiff's attorneys. Uh, there's There's a um, a theory called the reptile theory. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but basically it's a tactic to put fear in the minds of jurors out there in order to award larger damages against trucking companies and, we, and other corporate defendants. Brian, we have about 30 seconds left. So this charge of putting protecting the interests of the trucking industry above lives of people, you just won't buy it. In short, why not? Ultimately, it's driving higher costs um, that are going to have to be paid by the consumer. Uh, there are a lot of jobs at stake in the trucking industry here in Iowa. We need to protect those jobs. And what we've been doing out there, leaving these uh, these decisions up to the jury, it's just not working, Ben. Okay. Brian Colwis, thank you for joining us today, Brian. Thank you very much, Ben. Brian of the Iowa Motor Truck Association um, on the executive committee and a board member. When we come back, we'll talk with two Iowa lawmakers, one from each side of the aisle. Katerina Sestarek will join me, Representative Brian Meyer, a Democrat, and Representative Bill Gustoff, a Republican. It's River to River from IPR News.
I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. We're back with more of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer talking about a bill, uh, this uh, part of the program that would offer new legal protections for Iowa's trucking industry. Uh, joining me, uh, I, IPR state government reporter Katerina Sestarek. Uh, she's at the uh, State House Law Library with two lawmakers. And to recap, and you've just joined us, a bill uh, it would, would prohibit Iowans from suing trucking companies for direct negligence in hiring, training, supervising, or trusting a truck driver who caused a crash. Also, a million-dollar cap on non-economic damages awarded in cases of personal injury or death caused by a commercial motor vehicle. And this would would put uh, Iowa at the forefront. No other state has really done this. Uh, um, And uh, we welcome uh, to our conversation uh, two lawmakers, uh, Representative Bill Gustoff, a Republican from House District 40, Des Moines, Altoona area. Representative Gustoff, welcome to you. Thank you. And also Representative Brian Meyer, a Democrat, House District 29 from Polk County. Welcome to you, Representative Meyer. Thank you. You can join us with your questions for these lawmakers, 1-866-780-9100, 1-866-780-9100, or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Before uh, Katarina gets down with more specific questions, I'd like to go to each of you just to to get your positions on this bill. You are a proponent of this change, uh, Representative Gustav. Why? Why do we need this? What is the problem that needs to be solved? Well, as you heard from one of the previous guests, we're seeing an escalating uh, risk of what we'd call nuclear verdicts in the, around mm-hmm. the country, and and those are coming into Iowa. Uh, we see them currently in the form of settlements. Uh, so some of the focus is on just verdicts, but I'm not concerned about just past verdicts. I'm concerned about future verdicts and the many settlements that come at the risk of a nuclear verdict. So this is kind of a common-sense approach to a, you know, a difficult and escalating problem. It balances this, uh, trying not to get too legalese, but tort law concept of making an injured party whole with the need of having predictable business environments so uh, companies can get insurance and it's uh, it's, it's uh not just uh, motor truck companies, it's farmers, it's co-ops, it's, it's the people who supply the things that we rely on on our tables and our, our consumer products that cities rely on to get supplies for uh, road projects and builds. So it's just our whole com- uh, transportation industry that's facing uh, this escalating problem with not being able to get insurance. Representative Meyer, uh, your opposition, and perhaps you'd like to respond directly to Representative mm-hmm. Gustav. Mm-hmm. There's no need for the bill. Um, unfortunately, there's nothing this Republican legislature won't do for special interests. You heard it from Michelle directly. She said it's almost like the politicians don't care about us normal people. They only care about the special interests. It's 100% what this is about. I feel bad for Representative Gustav. He has to come here and defend the indefensible. This bill does nothing, will do nothing to help with insurance rates. All it does is screw over the little person 
and it's not needed. Representative Gustav, what do you make of the comment that Representative Meyer just reiterated from Michelle um, that, you know, it seems like this is a bill that's working to protect companies and not Iowans who might be facing, you know, the death of a loved one in a trucking accident? Yeah, well, and I'm sorry for her loss in that. I mean, those are those are the terrible things we're trying to deal with. And we live in an imperfect world where these things will happen. Now, to her particular case, this bill would not apply. This bill has a specific exemption for drivers who are under the influence of alcohol or drugs. So in that case, this this bill would not even have affected anything to do with with her particular lawsuit. Does that exception, um, is it only if they're convicted of an OWI? Because I think the driver in her case wasn't. Or, or drug use. Okay. Um, well, just in terms of some other parts of the bill, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the $1 million cap on non-economic damages, but there's also this part that would prevent claims against trucking companies for direct negligence in hiring or supervising a driver. Um, why do you think that part of the bill is necessary? Yeah, so it's something, it's, it's known as a McAfee rule in the legal community, but it, it puts the focus of the lawsuits where they belong on the relationship between the employer and employee and not just a fishing expedition on hiring practices and different things like that that really aren't a focus of, aren't part of what the accident that actually happened. Now, those are not entirely off the table because that allows punitive damages. And so if they can show by a, you know, a higher standard in discovery that, the, that there, there are things like that out present in, in the situation, they can amend the pleadings to, uh, to ask for punitive damages. So Representative Meyer, do you think, um, you know, based on that response, that these companies, trucking companies, can still be held accountable for negligence in hiring or supervising their employees? No, he doesn't understand the bill. The reason they have that provision in there is because they're trying to hide something. If I'm a trucking company and I hire somebody that doesn't have a CDL license, and I and I step up and I and I take responsibility for it, that bill hides it. I can't get to it. So if I if I'm a trucking company and I hire somebody that doesn't have a CDL license, that uh, has 15 speeding tickets, was never trained on the truck that they're driving, uh, doesn't understand um, the, the laws of the road, doesn't possibly doesn't even have a driver's license, I can't ever get to it because it's prevented by this bill, and that's what they're trying to do. The trucking companies are trying to say, no, 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 don't look over here. Don't look over here. You're not able to look over there. And I know Representative Gustav doesn't agree with me on that, but somebody that practices law in this area can tell you that how are you supposed to get the discovery if it's automatically barred by the bill? And I'm sorry, Representative Gustav, you're disagreeing with me. That's what the bill does. It's barred by the initial pleadings. It's not barred entirely in the lawsuit. And uh, they can claim punitive damages under 668A of the code. Uh, it's a preponderance, again, legalese, preponderance of clear and convincing satisfactory evidence that the conduct was uh, a, a willful and wanton disregard for the rights and safety of another. Uh, if you're hiring somebody who's not qualified or somebody has 16 DWIs and, and no license, that, that would certainly seem to satisfy the willful and wanton disregard for the rights or safety of another. And so, that's in the bill. Okay. So one of the broader arguments I, that we've heard for this from some supporters is that this will help with economic development or just help businesses in general because they need trucks and people need trucks to get goods from point A to point B. Um, Representative Meyer, do you think the legislature, um, or why shouldn't the legislature pursue this as a way to support those activities? 
question is why? What's the problem? There is no problem. There's no problem in the state of Iowa with the trucking industry and insurance rates and all that. There's no problem here. Why are we doing what we're doing? We are simply doing this for the for the special interest. That's all we're doing it for. It's not going to lower rates. It's not going to have more trucking companies here. And even if that was the case, that's just not right. People should be able to recover for their damages, and they should be able to get to the root of the problem that they're trying to prevent. Again, it just goes to this legislature, this Republican leadership, doing whatever they can for the special interests. And this, by the way, will have bipartisan opposition. And it, it will have bipartisan opposition, and people will speak out on it on both sides of the aisle. Representative Gustav, um, do Republicans have enough support to pass this? I mean, it was you know pretty close with the medical malpractice, non-economic damage cap. Where does it? Where does this one stand right now? I don't have a hard count just yet. We were focusing on other issues prior to this week, and so we're focusing on this this week and taking taking counts and talking with members of our caucus. And it was a there was bipartisan support as well for the medical last last week. There was a, a Democrat who voted for it in the House. So there may be there will be bipartisan opposition. There may be bipartisan support as well. We just we don't know that yet. But but back to there is a problem, and just saying that there's not a problem doesn't make it so. The insurance the industry tells us they're Rates have gone up 50% or more in the last two years. Uh, I have one one company that uh, was sued by somebody else who caused an accident and had to do a settlement of over $4 million, $4 million. And their insurance company forced that settlement because they were afraid of a nuclear verdict. And then they dropped them as an insured, so they can't get the insurance now. If they do that again, they have well over 100 employees who will be out of work because they'll be bankrupt. So this is a problem that's... You know, it's, it's, it's out there. It's a ticking time bomb, and we're just trying to find a reasonable solution to, to head that off. Spending the final five minutes with two lawmakers, obviously on opposite sides of this issue, Representative Brian Meyer, Democrat, Representative Bill Gustoff, talking about uh, new legal protections for Iowa's trucking industry. Uh, let's go to our caller, Ron. Ron, uh, welcome to the program. Where are you calling from? Missouri. All right, uh, Ron in Missouri, what's your view on this uh, issue? Case history most of my close relatives live in Missouri, close to Arkansas. A huge turkey corporation down there built a huge feed mill and hired drivers to drive 18-wheelers. They paid the drivers by the ton, not the hour, which gave every driver an incentive to drive as fast as possible, not as fast as legal. My relatives pointed out a corner where these 18-wheelers would run with the nine tires on the driver's side of the truck on the grass uh, of the left shoulder. They would have the truck totally out of their legal lane and even halfway out of the other lane so they could maximize the tons of feed they got delivered in their ship. Eventually, there were enough lawsuits that Hudson had to change their policy and pay the drivers by the hour. Uh, if Iowa would reform laws and stop giving evil corporations advantages, there would be fewer crashes on our roads. Ron, thank you very much for your call. Representative uh, Gustav, would you like to respond to Ron's point there? Well, it sounds like some of those drivers were violating laws. So let's be clear, this doesn't cap total economic damages. Or it doesn't cap economic damages at all. So this is not like a million dollars in 
and that's it. This is the non-economic damages. And so they could certainly go after those folks if they cause injuries and accidents for, for measurable damages. Um, they, you'd have to have a lot more facts on that particular uh, scenario down there and why the laws had to be changed. I, you know, describing an, an anecdote, is, it's hard to respond to that. But but uh, this this would, I don't think this it's relevant to this particular piece of legislation. Representative Gustav, what do you say to the argument that's been brought up um, with capping the non-economic damages by um, opponents of this, that it's putting, you know, an arbitrary value on a person's life and not taking into account the individual details of, of each incident that happens? Well, we're trying to, nobody wants to value life, but we do it all the time in legislation. We have workers' comp, for example, that values body parts and body functions. We have insurance laws that cap how much life insurance one can get. We, we have... Uh, we do this all the time. Every economic decision we make as a country has, we weigh with the cost factor of that. So nobody's, we're not trying to put an arbitrary number on there. And we, we have other damages that are not capped, including punitives, if there's a really bad actor in this. So it's not a total cap. And we're not unique in the nation, by the way, either. Nine other states have tort caps that are not applied to not, do not other than just medical. Um, eight of them just total caps on tort law periods. So yes, we'd be unique in this specific industry, but we would join other states in having broader caps. Representative Gustav, to follow up on Katerina's point there, one of our listeners, Ed in Iowa City, writes, to avoid, quote, nuclear verdicts, that's a, a term that has been used here, he asks, why uh, only a $1 million limit? Wouldn't a 5 or $10 million number limit nuclear? And let's face it, nuclear is a figurative term here. There's nothing nuclear about any of this. Remember, there's no limit on economic damages. There's no limit on punitive damages. Uh, changes were made to the medical one that did double that to two. That's that's possible. Something we could do here. I'm not proposing that yet. Um, but there there are changes that can be made to this bill. So, but one million puts us in line with others other states that have caps. Uh, the caps in the rest, elsewhere in the state in the country range from two hundred fifty thousand to one million. So. One million had already put us at the very top of other states that have have forged ahead with this kind of legislation in other areas of the law. Representative Meyer, with all this talk of um, nuclear verdicts, you know, seeing in some other states with trucking accident verdicts um, in the tens of millions of dollars, um, do you think that, you know, would you support a cap that was not one million dollars? Would you support something that's higher? And do you think juries are out of control in some cases in awarding these amounts? No, and no. And the reason for that is imagine you're driving your minivan, you have a two-year-old daughter, an out-of-control truck driving 100 miles an hour, which is not accepted, exempted from this bill, driving 100 miles an hour, hits the minivan, child dies. You're capped at a million dollars. Sorry, see you later. Not a big deal. Your kid died. How do you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you not let a jury decide the value? I mean, it's just bizarre to me. Again, it's just a craven nature of this Republican legislature to do all that they can for the special interests, the insurance companies and the trucking companies and do nothing. They do nothing for the average, everyday individual. Gentlemen, let's get one more caller in on this very important conversation. Judy is with us from Iowa City. Judy, running out of time, but we're sure glad you're with us. Uh, What's the point you'd like to make? Well, I just want to guess I want to weigh in. There's some real inconsistencies. I had a friend who was recently killed when a truck slammed into the back of her 
um, leaving two adolescent children without a mother. And, you know, if we value life, which I hear our state legislators pointing out every step of the way, how can we disregard it here? Um, I just feel like if we have to be consistent in our message, if life is important at birth, it's important on the interstate. It's important. And if we're going, we have to be consistent. And I, I guess I hope to plant that seed with you um, all who are listening and with, with our legislators to think about that, that we have to have consistency okay. um, for the sake of our citizens. Uh, we have time enough for 30 seconds, seconds for each of our lawmakers. Uh, 30 seconds for you, Representative Gustav, and then we'll be following that with Representative Meyer. Sure. The million dollars is, is not the only possible avenue there. There's another def- There's another potential defendant in this case. That's the driver who actually caused the accident. And so what this bill is, does not reassign liability to what was perceived as the deep pocket, who wasn't the one that caused the accident. Okay. Representative Meyer, you have the last word here. Uh, limit you leave to 30 seconds is all we have, sir. Thank you. Again, uh, not to correct you again, but you do, you cannot get to the driver if they are driving for a, for a company. Um, I'm not going to say it again. I'll say it on the floor. But that is just not true. A. B. Why are we doing this? It's just a payoff to the special interests. Okay. That's all it is. And so it's just. From the Law Library Live, thank you very much, Representatives Meyer and uh, Gustav. We appreciate you coming in. And on behalf of my uh, co host, uh, Katerina Sestarek, thank you for all the input, email, and callers. Uh, tomorrow on the program, a preview of a new PBS documentary on the battleship, the USS Iowa. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us.